This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. And what's interesting is some people involved in this, I won't name any names, but they said, you know, you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to prepare so much and kill yourself over the guests. And like, you can kind of just relax and just chill out and just go to your guest house and just have conversations. And it occurred to me, oh, well, I guess if you're a white guy, you can kind of just chill and half-ass it. And there's the soundbite right there. Ellen says, if you're a white guy, you can chill and half-ass it. <laughs> Go ahead, take it. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Ellen Pompeo has spent 18 seasons playing Dr. Meredith Grey on Grey's Anatomy, so it should come as no surprise that the show is the longest-running medical drama in TV history. It should also come as no surprise that doing something for that long can either make or break your creativity. For Ellen, it's been a task of finding new ways to keep Grey's Anatomy relevant to audiences and to the cast, as well as trying new things outside of acting like her podcast Tell Me, which you've probably heard of by now. In this episode, Ellen explains how she keeps her creativity fresh, her struggles with being a perfectionist, and with maybe being a little bit too outspoken at times. Well, hi, Ellen. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. I get to talk to you today. So, <laughs> you know... I want to open by asking, I mean, in following your career and reading interviews that you've done in the past, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is the career you have right now what you saw for yourself when you started out in the entertainment industry? I don't know that I, I guess I would say no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The short answer is no, for sure. You know, in the beginning, coming from where I came from, which is the mean streets of Boston, I definitely didn't think there was a good chance of me actually making it as an actress and, and none of my dreams were sort of supported at all there. It wasn't until I sort of moved to New York City and had started sort of auditioning pretty quickly, I realized that, oh, I definitely have, people are noticing something. Steven Spielberg was one of the first people. I had done a commercial and he was one of the first people to sort of reach out to me after the commercial had aired. So I think pretty quickly I had sort of thought, well, I must have something. Years later, you know, seven or eight years later, I started, you know, booking some movies and things like that. And then I definitely thought, oh, well, this is great. I'm going to be able to be in movies and I'm going to be a movie star, as one thinks. <laughs> and Pretty quickly, it started becoming pretty obvious to me that I was getting offered really specific roles of like, you know, the girlfriend, always the girlfriend, always the girlfriend, always the girlfriend. Those were the bigger roles, right? Which the irony of that is they're the bigger roles, but they're not really big. There isn't much for you to do. And then so I was trying to make the choice of being in more interesting films. Then my dilemma with that was I kept getting cut out of those movies. So I was at a crossroads and I was trying to pick very good movies, but what I was being offered were very commercial, sort of after old school, I was being offered very commercial, sort of romantic comedy type movies. 
And I wasn't interested in doing that. I was really trying to do, you know, serious work. And every time I tried to sign on to a serious film, I would get cut out of it. So the pilot for Grace came along and I decided to do it for the money to pay my rent. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And then it took off. Um, I'd never seen that much money in my life. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is going to be good. And then by the time my contract was up that year, I had just had a child and I was 40 years old. And I thought, oh, well, I'm super typecast as um, this character. And I'm a 40-year-old woman in Hollywood. So I better just stick around because I'm not getting any other work after this mm. at all. Ever the confident one I am. And kind of to that point, I mean, what stands out to you the most when you think about how your career took shape and really evolved to where it's at right now? And what's interesting is I started the show when I was 33 and I'm 51 now. So I've just matured and um, I've learned so much. I don't know. You know, people say you need to change to grow which is absolutely true. Mm. But I've also learned a tremendous amount staying in the same job. Mm. I've learned different lessons, right? Than I would have learned had I left and had I gone on to take bigger risks and done other things. But I definitely have learned a tremendous amount, not only about producing and things like that, but just about, you know, life <laughs> and, and the way television is made. And um, I've definitely learned some incredible lessons. And, you know, now I have three children and, uh, and there's something to be said for the stability that I've been able to provide for my kids and stay in Los Angeles. I don't have to leave them ever. I put my family first. I based my career choice staying on Grays for them. And I've definitely learned a lot of lessons from staying. Yeah. And I'm glad. I just don't regret staying this long at all. Of course. And, you know, I think because you've mentioned before in, you know, past interviews that you don't necessarily find being an actor that fulfilling creative wise. And so what do you do for creative fulfillment? Well, I definitely find it the creative, which isn't traditionally creative, but producing and continuing to try to reinvent the show mm. is a specific set of challenges that is very unique. Not your traditional creativity, but it's definitely creativity in the way that how do we continue to reinvent this show? I'm pretty involved in the storytelling, and that's always a constant challenge. I also have a production company, and we develop stories and uh, develop shows and try to sell them, which is another you know huge like pushing monster boulder up a hill. Right. Um, it's really hard. If I had myself to offer up to star in these shows that I was pitching, I'd probably have a better chance at selling them. Mm. If I attached myself as an actor in these shows, um, that was another you know very specific choice I made. I could leave the show and make myself available. And the things that I'm producing and trying to develop, I'd probably be able to sell them easier mm. if I was attached to Star. And I'm not ever. So it's harder for me to sell them. Yeah. But those are the things I do. I do want to stay for a second on this topic of finding a way to kind of reinvent the show and keeping it fresh because that's such a good point that you bring up. I mean, this is like the longest running like medical drama in like US TV history. So it's like, how, what are those ways? Like when you got in the position of helping to shape the show and being more of a storyteller? Like, what are some of those ways that you've had to 
make something that's lasted this long fresh for the viewers? Well, I think that one of the most important things that I'm, I'm sort of realizing now and looking at now is tonally our show 17 years ago, you know, we didn't know what we know about the medical world. Mm. We didn't know what we know now, right? The pandemic has shown a light on the medical community like we've never seen before. The inequity in medicine, the racism in medicine. And I think that specifically those are themes that are very hard to look away from, for me anyway. We didn't talk about those things 17 years ago. Mm. Tonally, we always struck this great balance of drama and comedy. And there was the heartbreak and the life or death stakes of the hospital, but then also the fun comedy and the romance and the ironies of surgeons sort of being in these really intense surgeries, but talking about what they ate for dinner last night or whatever, which is, you know, it happens. It's really what they do, right? They do surgeries every day. So it's not like the conversation is always so intense Mm -hmm. at the surgery table, but I am more interested right now in this moment of tonally being a little bit truer to what doctors really face and what it means to be a physician, what it means to be a healer, what toll that takes on a human being to have to give, give, give of yourself every single day. And how much of yourself do you give um, and how much of yourself do you protect? And I I think those stories are very interesting to me, albeit not exactly the tone that we always strike on Grey's. It's, you know, a conversation that that I have a lot. The, The tone of the stories that we're telling, the tone of the show, is it still okay? Are we not doing justice to the medical community? Because I do feel, you know, somewhat a responsibility because we have inspired so many generations of young people to go into medicine. Absolutely. So it's like, do we get to really just depict all this silliness all the time? Or do we have responsibility and an obligation to tell real stories about what healthcare workers go through? Yeah. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we're back, Ellen dives into her new podcast, Tell Me. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. I definitely want to ask, like, with your podcast, which is Tell Me With Cadence 13, which, I get, like I said, it's fantastic and it's so well done. I know that a lot of celebrities have kind of gotten into the podcast game. And so what made you want to start your own? And what perspective did you want to go into podcasting with, really? I think that, so many people talk to me about my voice. Right? So many your artistic say, voice or actual my, voice? <laughs> my actual voice. Your speak. Okay, yeah. <laughs> my speaking voice, and I do the voiceovers on the show on Grays, and I know my voice resonates with people. Also, to that point, I have so many young women who are fans around the world, um, everywhere, South America, you know, everywhere, and I do have this platform. And how do I use it? To me, to have these young girls, whether they're on my Instagram or whether they run up to me on the street and cry and want to hug me, whether I like it or not, I've impacted them in some way. And whether I like it or not, I have a platform. 
And at my age, you know, having three children, I just would feel gross about having this level of privilege and fame and not trying to do something with it. Um, so tell me is really an effort on my part to just have people come on and tell me their stories, talk to me about their experience, whether it's a doctor, an author, an actor, just tell stories. I mean, not every episode is going to be like some revelations, right? We have to have some entertaining. Again, I'm you know, producing this and, and, and learning how this podcast game works. I'm super new at it, unlike yourself who does such a great job with yours. No, please. I was going to say, you're doing great. You're doing just fine. <laughs> I'm trying to do, you know, trying to be, have a mix of entertainment and then a mix of meaningful stories that young people can listen to and maybe learn something from. And from doing the podcast, I mean, what perspective have you really gained from having these conversations and really, you know, kind of stepping into another person's world, another person's headspace, really? I've enjoyed having conversations and, you know, so much of acting is about listening, right? Acting really is listening. If you're a good actor, you listen more than you speak. You know, you don't just wait for your cues. You have to truly listen to your scene partner. And active listening is, is what makes great performances. And so that's also where Tell Me comes from, is the active listening is a huge part of the craft of acting. Aside from that, I would say right now, I think emotionally, I'm in a space of really being careful about what I say, because mm -hmm. now I'm, I've been made aware that, and I always knew it, being <clears throat> an outspoken, charismatic woman, I've put myself in situations where things I say, they can pluck out five words, mm. and make it appear as if I've said something else. So I would say right now, I've like touched the electric wire on the fence. And I'm just a little <laughs> bit in shock. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm in a space where I'm just trying to be super careful about what I say because I definitely am a target. Yeah. Is that hard for you to feel like, or do you feel like you're kind of dampening yourself a bit? Well, me dampening myself a bit may not be such a bad thing, right? Mm. Maybe I'm a little too charismatic. <laughs> Maybe I, it's never a bad thing to check yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It's okay. I may be biased, but I think women are a little bit more susceptible to criticism. I don't think that's bias. I think that's fact. <laughs> I think that's been proven. So, And I'm, I make a choice, right? I made a choice to do a podcast. So if you want to swim with the sharks, you have to know that you might get bitten. Mm -hmm. I chose to put myself out there. So I, I have to take the shots. You know, if you put yourself in the ring, you got to take the shots and you got to make sure that you bob and weave and duck and move and don't get hit with those same punches again, you know? So it can all be a learning experience. I could certainly close up shop and not do anything, but I, I'm too much of a workaholic for that. <laughs> and I like the podcast because I get to do it from my home. So on my days off from the show, I'm able to be here with my kids and just get mm -hmm. down to my guest house and, you know, and sort of do something fun, different and creative and, and still um, be home. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it right now, kind of. And it's okay if I, if I have to learn lessons along the way, right? Mm -hmm. And I was going to say, in diving into doing a podcast, I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, you, you are still learning just in terms of 
what it goes into a podcast, like how even like stepping into the role of being an interviewer, you know, we have we haven't seen that from you. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your learning curve in this new chapter of your career in podcasting. Like what have been some of those learning lessons on, on more so like the production side and how things work and just kind of, you know, thinking of guests and thinking of topics to add to touch on. Like I'd love to just hear a little bit about your learning curve and stepping into this new space. One of the things that stands out, which was really interesting to me, is I learned about myself. I, I know I'm very intense, right? Clearly, <laughs> I'm pretty intense. And I've been on the same show for 18 seasons. And it takes a lot of passion and intensity to continue to do the same thing and continue to find, you know, reasons to continue and continue to make it better and all of that. And so I approach this with the same intensity. And what's interesting is, people involved in this, I won't name any names, but they said, you know, you don't have to work so hard. You don't have to prepare so much and kill yourself over the guests. And like, you can kind of just relax and just chill out and just go to your guest house and just have conversations. And I was like, what? No, I can't. I have to read everything they've ever done. And I have to watch everything. And I have to listen to everything they've ever said. And I guess I really put a lot of myself into things to make everything the best it can be. Mm. And it's also funny that kind of men said that to me, right? Mm. You know, white men said that to me. And it occurred to me, oh, well, I guess if you're a white guy, you can kind of just chill and half-ass it. And there's the soundbite right there. Ellen says, if you're a white guy, you can chill and half-ass it. (laughs) Go ahead, take it. Um, You know. um, But you're not wrong. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. They won't print that. They won't print that I'm not wrong. So that was pretty, not shocking to me, but I was just like, wow, that's interesting that like, that yeah, dudes can just have podcasts and they can just sit in their garages or wherever they sit and be super relaxed about it and have fun. Like, I wouldn't say this is fun for me right now. And maybe that's, you know, where my learning curve needs to be. Maybe I need to learn to have more fun Mm. with the things that I do. I'm too intense. I'm like, is it good? Is it good? Is it interesting? I guess I'm super self-critical also, you know? Yes. And so when you think about your career, I mean, like, what would you say has been your biggest creative challenge? My biggest creative challenge is staying on a TV show for 18 seasons. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, And continuing, I have to say, one of the greatest joys in my life is getting to work alongside our executive producer, Debbie Allen. Because Debbie has been, you know, in the business since the 70s. And... She is such a positive, creative person by nature that she enjoys the process alongside with me of how do we make the show great? How do we make it better? You know, she's such an encouraging person in my corner. And I don't know that I would have been able to continue the show this long if I didn't have someone like Debbie. Mm. She truly, truly is my partner in every sense of the word, because her and I break down every script and talk about every episode, every season, what are we doing? 
And how do we make it better? How do we bring these scenes to life? I can't say that I've done it myself. I wouldn't have had the positivity of thought to do this myself. Debbie has taught me how to be creative in a positive way Mm. and really shown a light on the positivity of it. Because I think naturally I'm not, I'm kind of a pessimistic person. (laughs) And Debbie has really been just so fun to collaborate with. Um, She's just so full of joy and energy. She's a person who does more than anyone I know. I think I do a lot. Debbie does more than everybody and still does it with so much joy and so much excitement every day. I would say the past like six seasons, you know, after Patrick Dempsey left the show was a real turning point for me. And I said, you know, I want to stay on and sort of prove to myself that I can do this show as the female lead and that I don't need a man to continue. And I did that for season 12. And then my contract was up and I thought, okay, well, I've proved really all I need to prove to myself. But it was Debbie that really was my partner in wanting to continue this journey with me. And I I don't think I would be able to do it without her. Mm. Shout out to Debbie. Wow. (laughs) I always love to close the podcast with the same question. You know, at this point in your career, how have you come to define creativity? Wow. I define creativity as finding it everywhere. Creativity is something you should look for everywhere and in everything. I like that. There are no boxes for creativity. Whether you're baking a pie or decorating a room or figuring out how to make a scene that you've done 30 times, how to make it feel fresh and and new again, which is the hardest piece of creativity. It doesn't get enough credit, actually. It's very easy to be creative when you're doing things for the first time, right? Right. (laughs) Very easy. Everybody can be creative when you've never done this scene before. Can you do the same exact scene in the same room that you've done it a thousand times before? Can you stay present and make that scene good? To me, that's the ultimate creative challenge. I love that. I could flex with that. That's my (laughs) flex right there. And flex away you will and shall and should. Thank you so much, Ellen. <laughs> this was so lovely. Thank you for your time. I just, uh, I, this, this is the reason why I love doing this podcast, because I get to talk to people like you. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was so fun. It was great to meet you. Thanks for having oh, me. Oh, my pleasure. I enjoy your podcast as well. So fun. As always, thank you for listening to Creative Conversation. Make sure you rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, and I'll see you next week.